0: Congratulations, you are being rescued. Please do not resist.
1: I have a bad feeling about this. This is the 11 Days of Star Wars. Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by spending two weeks at Christmas lovingly analyzing all the highs and lows of our favorite franchises. For some reason, I picked Star Wars this year. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is my co-host, Tessa. Joining us today is Jack, because podcasting is a visual medium. Jack is wearing a very particular shirt that... I want you to tell us about. But first, hello, Jack.
2: Oh, And I'm wearing my Be Nice to Kelly Marie Tran jags t-shirt from Super Yucky. No promo. <laughs> yeah. Then
1: yeah, yeah. um, they can promo us back. They, so can, they cool. can promo
0: us back if they wanted to. <laughs> You're also rocking a new pink mic, Jack.
2: Yes. Courtesy of our hosts and friends of the show, Elise, Melissa, and Ryan.
0: We are... So happy to have you back on the pod, especially since we are talking about Star Wars.
2: Is that what we're doing? I'm excited to be here.
1: All right. So, Jack, what you got on tap for the holidays this year?
2: I am visiting my in-laws. We are driving up to Canada for a week and hopefully getting some snow and introducing the baby to snow and my dog will be very happy to be reunited to snow because she loves point, running around in it.
1: I, You know, I, I, I really want to make a very bad joke here and ask, wasn't Canadian Christmas last month?
2: That is a bad joke.
1: It is. It's really bad. But, you know, that's what I'm here for. All right. We have traveling to Canada. I'm pretty sure you're the only one who's got that on your bingo card. Only because Matt's already in Canada. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's he doesn't to have to, to travel Canada when you're in. Question is, does he travel through Canada? Ah, well, not this month because Christmas was last month up there. True. Sure. If you double down on a joke, it gets, it gets funnier,
0: right? Yeah. No, it just oh.
1: gets funny. Period. Yeah. It wasn't funny before. <laughs> it's, 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 a, uh, it's a it's a it's a trans property.
0: Oh my god.
1: Oh, uh, it's gonna be a bad morning.
0: I am looking forward to doing some more baking this afternoon. I have been. Slacking on my holiday baking responsibilities.
2: What's being baked today?
0: Today, I think it's snickerdoodles. I think yeah. that is where we're going with today's today's baking. Um, but I have uh, made Linzer cookies very successfully for Thanksgiving, and I plan on making them again. And I think also peanut butter blossoms. I enjoy those. Maybe some uh, molasses cookies. I like those better than I like gingerbread.
2: I like molasses cookies, too. Yeah,
0: so I think I think that's probably what's on tap for this holiday season. And who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll branch out, do some mil- millionaire shortbread, although that's a little tricky. I might be a little lazy this holiday <laughs> and not make that.
1: Anyway, how am I supposed to know that Rogue One is a Star Wars movie if there's no opening crawl?
0: It's funny because we've already seen one Star Wars movie without an opening crawl, and that was Solo, but... Technically, this movie came out before Solo. So this was the first one with no opening crawl. And I have to say, I kind of like how it just starts. Oh, it's just like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then it's just like shot of space. Boom. Yeah. Yes. There's a great musical cue in there, too.
1: Great music
2: overall. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's uh, well, I mean, it's 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 friend of the podcast. Yep. Jake, you know
2: you guys are deep in his music these days.
1: Yeah. You know, I, you know, I it's it's funny because I definitely associate that kind of abrupt music cue with I guess no, it's really the entire sequel trilogy. Well, actually it's just the first two. I don't associate the third one with anything. Except hell. Uh but the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi have a lot of those abrupt musical cues. They're kind of anti-John Williams in some ways. They're good, but it's definitely a tonal shift. What I appreciate his music cues is
2: the titles of his music cues, because oh, yeah? they're always puns.
1: Either puns
2: or him being a silly billy, like uh, <laughs> that new Death Star smell, <laughs> have a choke and smile, and a smile, takes one to rogue one, When you finish Lost, make sure to look at the Lost titles.
1: If we can ever get Michael to join the Discord, we will definitely make his title Silly Billy. For sure.
0: That'll that'll be his role on the Discord. He's having a
1: really good year, because not only is he doing great composing work, as always, I thought I was hallucinating when we watched this. And I always meant to check, and I'm checking it in real time right now. He directed Werewolf by Night. Oh, not the music, he directed it.
2: He was a director, I think in film school.
1: Yeah, he's done a short track as well. And it's definitely like if you have that musical skill set, being a director seems like a natural a natural thing, you know. We've been watching some of the documentaries from the early years and you see that John Williams almost has mo- as much of an influence on the pacing and the structure of these films than anybody except for maybe Marsha. I did enjoy
2: his music in this, but now, which, and this is kind of jumping the conversation ahead, and I'm sure we'll rewind in a sec, but after watching Andor, I kind of wish Nicholas Bertel had done the score for this movie.
1: Ah, yeah, we will talk a bit about Andor today, which is the prequel to the prequel. Actually, because it's season one of Andor, it's the prequel to the prequel to the prequel. (laughs) <laughs> we just haven't seen the prequel to the prequel yet. Will it have Forest Whitaker? It better probably. Will it have Alan Tudyk? Probably. Thank you. Will it have Felicity Jones? Probably not.
2: You don't think so? Maybe in the last episode, but not with her and casting because they said it's going to lead up right right up to the events of Rogue One.
1: Right. Yeah i I was a little. I mentioned this. I think in one of the previous episodes, but there is canonically a scene that we have not seen visually. I believe we've read it between Jyn Erso and Emphis Nest. And I would really love to see that.
2: What I know you guys both really want to see in season two of Andor is Jar Jar Binks. I do.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it,
1: what it, at, at Tessa, your favorite Star Wars meme currently?
0: One of my favorite Star Wars memes currently okay. is the tweet about uh, the f- best part about Andor is that theoretically any of these characters could meet Jar Jar Binks at any time, but they don't, <laughs> which is, yeah, that, that is one of the best parts about Andor, honestly.
2: It'd be a real twist when we find out he's actually high up in the Empire. Was <laughs> a Sith?
1: Oh, God.
0: I don't know if he's a Sith, but I think... Just remember... Yeah.
1: Just like Jar Jar is wandering out there in the Star Wars galaxy, there is somebody somewhere on this planet who really thinks Jar Jar is a Sith Lord. Just remember that when you go to bed tonight. So Tessa, just really quickly going back to the earlier Christmas conversation, I would like a reprogrammed murder droid for Christmas. Okay. And if you can't get I'll that, try to make that happen. Yeah. And if you can't, I will take Dr. Afra's phone number.
0: That might be harder to get. I'm not going to lie. That might be more difficult to get.
1: Doc Afra, hard to get. You heard it here first. Or you read it in any number of comics. Jack, what are your overarching basic thoughts about Rogue One? Is it, it a good movie?
0: Is this movie good?
1: I have it ranked
2: as my number four Star Wars. they Empire, Last Jedi, New Hope, and Rogue One. The sucky thing about this movie is that the trailer was so good and included some really awesome shots that weren't made into the final movie. If we had not seen this, I feel like I would have thought this would maybe could be number one or number two. I just really dig this movie. Yeah, I think arguably probably the best action in this movie because it's not a Skywalker movie minus Darth Vader, but and we barely see lightsaber action except for the final bit so i thought like what they were trying to go for which was like a gritty war movie i thought this p- paid off that
1: promise couple of questions is i want to backtrack just a little bit since you're here to talk with us today jack is solo a bad movie
2: i think solo is a movie that unfortunately due to Lucasfilm interfering with one set of filmmakers' vision made it a bad movie because they yanked off the promise of a Lord and Miller movie and turned it into, tried to turn it into just a generic movie. You can see the elements where it was Lord and Miller's scenes and writing, and then all of a sudden those scenes go away.
1: You know, that reminds me a little bit of Obi Wan Kenobi. I don't think this is the first time I've heard you say this. Talk about a movie that we know should have been a better movie. You know, talking about things that that aren't there that should be, which I think is, and, and I mean, I'm not, I think that's a conversation we should have more because it might shame producers and studios into not messing around. Like, if we can possibly end studio interference as fans, I think it's our duty to do so. But it does remind me of Obi Wan Kenobi. You were the chosen one, yes, but you're not paying attention to the Anakin standing in front of you.
2: And I wonder if Solo would have been better in the post Rise of the Skywalker world because I think Lucasfilm was so afraid of whatever Warner Miller doing that, like, maybe would have turned people off of Star Wars. Yep. But they like reacted and were like, "We can't have this," and then. Didn't see what was going to happen with Rise of the Skywalker versus just letting people have fun, or like even the post like beyond Disney Plus, like just being okay with Star Wars not being always a cliche Star Wars.
1: The the people at the studios who allowed the Rise of Skywalker to be released, I just wonder if they'd ever seen a movie before. Like, I mean, that could explain it. If you ask me, that's the first movie you ever saw, but. You brought up Disney Plus, Jack. So my other question is, is the first season of Andor better than Rogue One?
2: Some might say Andor is... I would say Andor is probably number one or number two Star Wars thing since the original trilogy behind the Last Jedi.
1: By some might say, or are you saying that? Yes. Tessa, what do you think? Is Rogue One a good movie?
0: I think so. And I think that in our watch so far, that this is the best film that we've seen so far in our in our watch, in our 11 days of Star Wars. I do... I, I mean, I'm... Reevaluating and rewatching these. I haven't seen a Star Wars film in like a couple of years. So I am looking forward to seeing like how I end up actually ranking them by the end of this. So I don't have an actual ranking so far, but I definitely think this is in the top third of of Star Wars films. I think it ages really well, especially in the current context about anti fascism. I think there's I think when it came out, this felt like it was in theory, but now it feels like it's in practice in a lot of ways. This is a film, like you said, Jack, that's a very gritty war film about the actual cost of rebellion, because, and I've mentioned this on the pod before, a lot of Star Wars is very interested in the upper echelon of people, like the people who are leading the rebellion, the Skywalkers, you know, like the generals, the Mon Mothmas, you know, that kind of thing. This is about the people actually doing the work, right? Who are, you know, in the trenches, having to make difficult decisions, having to make morally ambiguous decisions. And it's about, like, what these people have to sacrifice in order to fight something so awful. And it's not always their lives, right? I mean, we've seen death scenes before in Star Wars when it comes to the rebellion. But in a lot of ways, these characters have sacrificed their families, they've sacrificed their childhoods, they've sacrificed their moral compass, right? Um, And so you get a lot of really great acting and great character work from these people who, again, don't really exist on the light and dark binary that we've been talking about. They exist kind of somewhere in the middle. And I think this film works because It has a lot to say about Rebellion, but at the end of the day, it is about these characters and it is a very, very tightly woven character piece. And I think that that's just always going to survive better, I think. Um, And, you know, like you said, I also feel like this is the film that returns to this visual storytelling in a way that we don't see as much of in the prequels. We see more of it in revenge of the Sith, um, which we talked about with Ryan, but this is a very visual movie at the same time. And I think if we're looking at it in terms of like in, in universe chronology, it appears to be the one that like is the most visual um, that we've seen so far.
1: My, my take on this movie coming out of last night is I still think it's pretty good, but As I think we'll talk about a little bit later because I made the notes. I think this movie is good because of Act 3. Okay. I'm not sure Act 1. I think Act 1 and Act 2 are so-so. But Act 3 is what brings everybody to the club. Gives us a little bit of that Star Wars Return of the Jedi razzle-dazzle in the third act. But we'll get there. I do want to ask, though, and I'm going to stay with you, Tessa, because I know you have real feelings about this. (laughs) Are you okay? Wait, hold on. Now let's move to segment three. But really, is it good? And I'm going to start by asking you, Tessa, and then you, Jack, are you a Saga Rera or a Mon Mothma?
0: I think that's a false binary. No, I'm going to say that first of it all. Is there isn't a way to be a you rebel in the middle of the two.
1: Not for them.
0: However, I do have to say, I realized much later, like, and by much later, I mean recently, years after I saw this, that people are horrified when I say that I'm more on Saw's side of this binary than I am on Mon Mothma's side. And I realize that it's because they've only seen this film, which is the end of his story, like him at his most paranoid, him at his most extreme. The problem with Saw Gerrera, and why I can't ultimately endorse him as a rebel is that he doesn't see people as important. Um, he He sees people as tools to achieve his agenda. Um, and it could also be a huge blind spot on to him. He's paranoid, he underestimates people or he overestimates people. However, Sagarra, out of all of the rebels, understands that you cannot fight fascism politely. And he also understands how unrelenting you have to be in your fight against fascism. Because unlike Mon Mothma, who is still somehow in this film talking about the Senate, she says, we want you to go get Galen Urso so he can come back and testify in front of the Senate like that is going to do shit in terms of what the Empire is going to do. I can't. To me, she's Hillary Clinton. She's Nancy Pelosi. Like, I can't like she does not actually understand like what you have to do to fight this. She still thinks there's a way that we can re democratize, you know, this particular place and we can, you know, hold the emperor accountable via the courts or whatever. Like she does not have any like way of understanding that you have to punch a fascist in the face and saw Guerrera understands that in a way that I think she doesn't. Again, I don't condone torture. I also don't condone killing civilians, which Saw has proven himself willing to do, but I do lean more towards his brand of rebellion than I do towards Mon Mothma's.
1: Just out of curiosity, has, has anybody been shocked about your Saw Guerrero leaning since summer of 2020? Yes. Jack, are you a Saw or a Mon is Mon her first name? It is, right? I I thought I originally thought Return of the Jedi Mon Mothma was like Bond Trap, you know, like it's a but but like Mon is her first name? Is her is she like Allison Mon Mothma?
2: I mean, Saw his first name.
1: Are you a Saw I thought it was or a an title. Allison?
2: I th- I thought it was a title too. Yeah, I mean, feels like it is. Also, the way she carries herself in a nightgown, no less.
0: Oh, nobody's saying she doesn't have style points. That girl has style points.
2: Minus her hair in the
1: later movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she's like she's like the girl who wears a slip as a dress. Like, not a slip dress, but a slip.
0: Yeah, but she pulls it off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So you're a Mon Mothma? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I,
2: I'll i be honest. I kind of forgot until this rewatch that the Senate exists like in the later chronological movies. Huh. I kind of it just like assume once the empire fully took over, that, like they would just get rid of the senate. Right. Like, what is the point of the senate if there's a evil empire? Like, where are they voting on like the empire is going to overrule?
1: They're they're supporting budget increases
2: for defense. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, sounds familiar.
0: We should do a committee on that.
2: A committee.
0: A committee. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Definitely agree with Tessa on saw like. Yeah, I think if you're confused about Saw and where he is in this, you definitely need to watch Clone Wars to understand his whole path and where he is in this movie. I, that is not excusing his use, his one excuse of torture to get information, um, which definitely reminded me of Zero Dark Thirty, which I know was a bit of an influence on this movie. And so... I would say I lean more towards Saw than Mon, even though I can't go all the way to Saw.
1: I do think it's interesting because I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I had forgotten. Saw has been through some shit since we saw him the last time, right? I think chronologically, the latest we see him is in Rebels.
0: The last season of Rebels. Right.
1: But I think the last season of Rebels takes place before the first season of Andor. I think I'm on pretty safe ground there. Um, I know there are a a few years between the end of Andor Season 1 and Rogue One. The thing, you know, Saw's been through some shit. And part of the point of that is to provide, much like they do later in Solo, which happens before Rogue One, but is released later, uh, Empus Nest. Saw is a walking, talking... All back to Darth Vader because he too has to use a respirator not as constantly as Vader but whatever he has been through has made him part droid on the bottom much like Darth Maul and Darth Vader and having to use a respirator like Darth Vader and there are a couple of ways to interpret that the first one is to make Vader or tempt us into making Vader a little bit morally ambiguous. As, as I think Tessa will be very animated in just a moment when I say, it could be a comment on the fact that disability doesn't make you evil.
0: I think Star Wars' relationship with disability, which I haven't really talked about a lot, is very complicated. I do think that they tend to fall into the, this person's evil, so they look disabled, or they are disabled camp a little bit more than I would like them to. I mean, that goes all the way back to Darth Vader as a character. But, I mean, I think that you're right. I think that they are trying to perhaps show us different sides of that, and Saw might be part of that. But the thing is is that I still think there's a lot of people who read Saw Gerrera is evil in this film. I don't, but...
1: That's the other way to read the respirator, yeah. is to say that... Uh, to go the opposite of what I said first, to say that Saw being on a respirator and having Vader legs right. is basically saying Saw is going over to the dark side. I mean, he's so
0: paranoid in this film. Like, Wouldn't you be? Like, way more if you than, got than your he legs is. float off and earlier. can't breathe no more? Yeah, I mean, like, but when Jin shows up, like, he's very torn. First of all, Jin is the first person, I think, since his <laughs> spoilers for the Clone Wars since his sister died, who he actually feels like is part of his family, like he very clearly cares about her in a way that we have never seen him care about people since the Clone Wars. But when he sees her in this film, he's torn between those feelings and just like absolute paranoia that she has been sent to kill him. Like, like even someone like her, he cannot trust her because of the amount of fear that he has but also the amount of just like everybody is against me type of attitude that that he has because he's been getting it from both sides from the Empire and from other rebels as well. So I mean like I do think he's supposed to come off as very extreme but I also, I don't know, this movie also wants to see him as tragic I think.
2: Yeah, I never saw him as like an antagonist because I hadn't seen Clone Wars until after this movie. I kind of saw him as kind of Minor, kind of like a adversary, but like who ends up like helping them get to where they need to go. Like he's a foil, but not the like enemy. Right. Yeah. Also, now I'm wanting a a spinoff prequel show of him of Saw and Galen to understand their relationship to the fact, so we can understand why he felt like Galen felt like. Saw would be the person that, who should take Jin in. Okay, yeah,
0: if so. I was to pick a guardian for my child, I don't know if Saw Gerrera would have been my first choice. <laughs> no. I I don't know if I was picking a guardian for my child if Saw Gerrera would
1: have been my first choice. Well, you know, you, you go with the rebel you have, not the rebel you want.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's, that is the situation here.
1: I mean, without Saw Gerrera, no Death Star plans. Sorry. Mon Mothma was just like, kill them. Yeah, that's right. Mon Mothma is actually the evil one. Shoot first and ask questions later.
0: No, it's her uh, general, not her. Her general. Yes.
1: Chain of command.
0: Right. But I, I always got the impression that she was just really clueless in Pick this Pick better
1: leaders. That's right. Yeah, it's like, still on you. You're she's, the commanding She's officer. just like,
0: yeah, bring him back. We'll have him testify against the Senate. And then her general's like, this isn't going to do shit.
1: That's what a bad leader does. Yeah. That's that's cluelessness.
0: Yeah. But, no, I don't think she's a good leader at all. Yeah.
1: I don't think Saw is meant to be an antagonist. And I know that, Jack, because we have, we have something fun and different in Rogue One. We have dueling antagonists. Hmm. So, second question. Jack, are you a Krennic or a Tarkin?
2: Probably Krennic because he's got a better fashion game.
0: His cape game, though.
1: I love how you both have the same answer.
0: His cape game, though. So I like that in Phantom Menace, we established that the people, the reason why Star Wars people wear a lot of capes is because it's cold in space. I will take that explanation. I think that's great. But this is probably the best cape game. Besides Lando.
2: It reminds me, I I don't really think is it. I think that was one of the clips in the movies where he's walking on the In the on the water with his cape, and it just seemed like it was floating above it.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. It wasn't getting wet. I mean, Ben Mendelsohn is a great actor. I mean, I think it's hard to compare him and Tarkin in this film because Tarkin is being played by a A reanimated Peter Cushing. So yeah, that's creepy to me, and we'll talk about that later. But Ben Mendelsohn's character, he's like the whiny and petulant. Fascist versus Cushing's menacing, you know, authoritarianism, and so like Ben Mendelssohn just wants to be recognized for his work, and he wants the biggest toy, and he wants Ben
1: Mendelssohn does.
0: Sorry, uh, <laughs> I mean he
1: might. I mean he.
0: Might. I don't know Ben Mendelssohn. Maybe he does. Um, like,
1: critic
0: uh, Krennic- is like <laughs> he wants the death button, right? He wants the doomsday machine, <laughs> which is like a very Cold War type of thing, which I know that's what the original Star Wars was going for with the Death Star. But it's very funny to see it kind of in this context because it's very much like, you know, you probably could have spent that money on like a whole other army and not like gone for this giant killing machine.
1: Yeah, the the fascists in the sequel series are the ones who are going to get this closest to correct. Yeah. Right? I mean, anyway, I... I just want to say really quickly that I think Ben Mendelsohn does better as an antagonist in Bloodline, which is a far inferior product to Rogue One. But but I think Ben Mendelsohn just showed up to work on that show and just lights out, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose every day because also Kyle Chandler is in Bloodline, which reminds me, can we get a Kyle Chandler in a Star Wars?
0: Please. I mean, to be fair, I think Ben Mendelson does good work wherever he goes.
2: That's true. I would say he, uh, Coach Taylor definitely has the look of a rebel leader.
1: I mean, right? I mean, let's bring some competence to the rebellion. He is a good coach.
0: Put him he in could, Andor.
1: He could have worked with Luke Skywalker and really molded him into a very fine man who didn't need no Yoda. <laughs> it's like... Going to Yoda on Dagobah is like like being the being a member of the team of the the greatest coach of all time. Like his last year when he definitely should have retired already. So it's like, yeah, you got coached by the best coach, but I mean,
0: I have to also say about Krennic. I love that when when his project gets taken away from him by Tarkin, which is great. <laughs> I love that he immediately has to go whine to the person least likely to have sympathy for him, which is Darth Vader. And like, just the whole like, don't choke on your own aspirations is just such a great line and it's delivered so well. Like, I just think that that's really funny because he's just like, but, but dad.
1: Can you imagine Simba being told that not to choke <laughs> on his own aspirations?
0: Don't choke on your own. Be careful not to choke on your own aspirations.
1: So Vice TV did a series called Unearthed on the original Star Wars trilogy. They've done a second season on The Simpsons. But what's really interesting is Marsha Lucas agreed to sit down and talk. And she dished. And I definitely felt Captain Holt gif when we watched the episode about Empire Strikes Back, in which they tell the story that George Lucas has told which is when he sat down to write the Star Wars he had 9 episodes and then selected episode 4 to be the beginning the entirety of this 9 episode saga is called the journal of the wills which is the story that the uh, that George Lucas's secretary alleged secretary told me when she wrote me back all those years ago Marcia Lucas said, nope, it was two friends who came over for dinner who were like, "Uh, uh, what if he was his dad? The journal of the wills is a bullshit thing that didn't exist. George Lucas flew by the seat of his pants and didn't know shit. But somehow this mythology of the wills has come up and the folks behind Rogue One decided to save George Lucas's ass by coming up with this wills business, this religion what do we what do we think about the Wills and its its main acolyte in this film?
0: I mean, they're an order without a purpose anymore, much like the Jedi, because their whole thing, at least the way it's explained in the film, is that their whole thing is to protect this temple and like the kyber crystal is gone from the temple, and then the temple is literally destroyed during this film. So there is a lot of like loss, I think, loss of purpose, loss of, loss of direction, I think, which is probably why they glom on to Jin, I think, so tightly. I also just want to say that uh, Chirut Imwe and Baze Malbus are our queer couple, our queer Star Wars couple of the, of the year, I think. Yep. Um, I'll let you have
1: this one. You know why? Because you're not trying to make a thruple happen. No,
0: it's no, no that is text. No thruple. I think it's text. I don't think it's even subtext. I think that it they are it. together, and I think that we have it's grumpy boyfriend and spiritual boyfriend, and I think that it works really well.
2: I had no context of who about the Wills in before seeing this movie. I thought they were a great addition to expanding out the universe and kind of giving us a People who like that, like now watching like the later chronological movies seem like the people who like knew of the Force but never experienced it themselves. I thought this, I was kind of hoping that, and I am still hoping now that uh, Disney Plus is doing more with the greater Star Wars world, that maybe we'll get more of the wills in future Star Wars media because I feel like it's important that Star Wars not just focus on force users so
0: well i think that's the other question is is chirut using the force or is he not using the force is he daredeviling it or is he somehow connected to the force
2: i feel like he's daredeviling it but maybe has such a trust in the existence of the force but maybe the force is rewarding him back
0: fair absolutely fair
1: well and i mean i think that It's interesting to explore the Force as as we get stuck in the hanging with Jedis to think that Jedis are are the sole province of the Force. And as I talked about on an earlier episode, not to bring it back to midichlorians, I apologize, but if we're still operating under the belief that midichlorians are the Force, which is stupid and we shouldn't, but if we did, everybody has midichlorians. And so it's not, it's it's not force user and non force user. It's not magician or magician. It's not wizard and squib, right? Right. That's not it. Everybody has the force, but the idea of a force user, it's it's kind of like a to put it in a very crude way, it's like saying Jedi's are you know hang, Jedi's are basically Kabbalah, you know, and and then you just have your regulars who are believers outside of that and have that faith and have that system of belief. And you might have, you know, and if that's it, if it's a religion, which is what Han Solo probably incorrectly calls it, right? You have believers, you have non-believers, you have people who make a life out of believing in the force, but aren't forced users. And then you have force users. The whole thing about the force is supposed to be the thing that connects us all So why wouldn't there be? I mean, this was actually, I thought, pretty genius. Why wouldn't there be people who devoted their lives to the Force who couldn't make rocks float?
0: Well, and I like that it's unresolved. Like, we don't actually know if he's using it. I mean, that last scene where he's walking through all that blaster fire, he's either very, very lucky or something is happening, right? It's like
1: R2 in like, Attack of the Clones. Yeah,
0: I know. It's like, you know, like me, like you said, maybe he's not strong enough to move rocks around or to have a lightsaber or whatever. He's clearly not strong enough for the Empire to think he's a threat, right? Like, they clearly left the Wills alone for the most part. They didn't get Order 66 But at the same time, there is this sense that he's aware of the Force, perhaps, or that the Force... Like you said, Jack, that there, he does have some sort of like relationship or spiritual or otherwise to the force. And I I think his mantra is very interesting um, as well. The, you know, I am one with the force and the force is with me. Um, so, yeah, I think that it, it is interesting to look at this from like a non-Jedi perspective because he doesn't mention the Jedi. He He doesn't see the wills as being like ancillary to the Jedi. They're their own thing.
1: I definitely think it's something they could expand upon. I think it's interesting that they canonized an idea just to give George Lucas cover, but that's okay. All right. So let's talk There
0: are worse reasons to do things.
1: Are there? (laughs) Are there? Ryan Johnson broke my trilogy and I'm going to fix it. Yep. I guess there is a worse reason to do things. (laughs) Let's talk about the main mission. And I can't help but think about this movie in, in terms of headcanon. So, Sound of Metal has defected. And he carries a message from Hannibal, who is building... Hannibal builds the Death Star. (laughs) This is what happens when he doesn't have his counterbalance. Anyway, Hannibal sends Sound of Metal uh, with a message to his daughter. His daughter, by the way, is estranged from the murderiest rebel commander ever. And the the Death Star is upside down. Thoughts? I
0: watched this movie... I've seen this movie 2 or 3 times. And well, including twice in the theater, like literally days apart from each other. Oh,
1: that's right. You've seen it one more time than I have.
0: Yeah, and cuz yeah, cuz I went home and watched it with my parents. Uh, so
1: Your parents like movies?
0: I completely forgot that Mads Mikkelsen is literally in 3 scenes of this film. Like he's such a huge presence in the film. And
1: he was drunk in all 3, just like <laughs> the other movie he was in.
0: Oh my god. So, he's such a huge presence in this film, not just because of his importance to Jin's life, but just because Mads Mikkelsen just, like, dominates every single scene that he's in. And so, like, he, wow, what a performance from him, I think, um, as, like... A father. Star
2: Wars is best dad.
0: Yeah, the bar is really low on that, I think. But yeah, I, I think we can He's agree. Star
1: Wars is best dad. I think
0: we can agree. All uh, you have
1: to do is not trip over the bars. Yeah. And step over it. Actually, it's three. It's three inches underground, and you don't have to trip over. it.
2: <laughs> he loves his daughter, who is Stardust.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Jack, you are the only parent. In of the three of, of us, all, of, of all, all of us, us here,
1: that's clearly true. Uh,
0: how do you feel about this particular storyline and the way that the loss of her parents at an early age sort of overshadows Jin's life?
2: As a father of a daughter, I hope that this fate never happens to me.
1: Yes, of course, don't work for the Empire and it won't.
2: <laughs> I definitely like they're re watching it and like. Even before I was a parent, the like opening scene with young Jin and Galen like hit me. But it definitely hit me much harder, like seeing how much he loves his daughter and is will do anything to protect her. Even with like the time like that they've been separated, like her desire to figure out what happened to her dad and try to get him back seemed really understandable to me. I definitely got very sad at the even though I know it was coming when he dies. So I think this, that part of the story worked. Again, best dad.
0: Best dad. Yeah. I have two, two things about this. So we were watching this, this Vice series, and I don't want to get into it because it's, it's more about the original trilogy than it is about the, these films. But a big thesis of that documentary series, is that George Lucas had a very dysfunctional and painful relationship with his father, and that influenced the way that he wrote about Darth Vader, about fatherhood, etc. I think that this is a very interesting narrative alongside that, not just because Galen Erso is a good dad, uh, and so, you know, very different from Darth Vader, who was a very bad dad. He... It also is kind of about the trauma of working through that relationship because in a lot of ways, Jin is very uninterested in being a rebel because she feels like she's been abandoned by her father. She feels like she's been abandoned by her mother, even though her mother dies, right? And she feels like she's been abandoned by her um her pseudo father in Saw um, it in, because in, she was. And that makes her very disillusioned. It makes her not want to fight. It makes her, she's very bitter about this whole situation. She's very bitter about the fact that her father is working for the Empire, right? She even says, like, it's easier to think of him as dead a lot of times. And I think what changes is that message from him that she sees with Saw where he says, like, this is what I've been doing. I've been doing it all for you. This is evil, you know, and I've been trying to make it right. And I've been trying to protect you at the same time. It's like a switch flips in this character. And I don't think it it's too fast. I think it makes sense. Like, she needed that closure with her father in order to have hope again. Like, in order to know that you know, she wasn't abandoned just for the hell of it, right? That she was abandoned for a greater purpose. And so, like, I think that that is a very interesting way of commenting on the the father issues of Star Wars in general, um, because those two things are laid out against each other. The other thing, too, and I'm curious about this, Jack. So, Lossie, who's going to be on the episode tomorrow. Who's Lossie? Lazbert ah, is going to Loss be on the episode Bird. tomorrow. When I had a conversation with him about this film a few weeks ago where he said that he and his wife, Amy, got very angry at the beginning of this film because uh, Lyra, Jin's mom, goes back for Galen instead of going with Jin, which I think narratively has to happen, which is a terrible reason for stuff to happen. But anyway, that's not the point. So apparently... uh, Lazie's wife told him, like, look, like, if this ever happens, like, you know, I love you, but I'm not coming back for you. (laughs) Like, I'm going to take our kids and leave, right? Is that something that occurred to you as you were watching this, Jack?
2: I definitely was, like, hoping that if I was in a situation like that, but my family would, we would be like Wazie's family and be like, you gotta get out of there. Yeah. Protect the child first.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just, it does feel a little... Again, I think narratively it had to happen. So that's why it happens that way. But it did feel a little like your husband can kind of take care of himself. Your daughter cannot. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that's but an she issue. Could. But I mean, but Saw I took know. care of her, I guess. Yeah. Whatever.
2: I guess they were, I could also see them one narratively, but also probably trying to, also a narrative reason, but trying to connect, not connected to Luke Skywalker and being an orphan.
1: Mm -hmm. With no parents.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: Again, I have nothing to say about this, but I do really quick, before I ask you guys about Riz Ahmed, who does things in this movie, I just want to point out that the detail about the Death Star being upside down, I included it here because I was like, I'm not going to talk about the the father-daughter thing, but I do want to talk about the Death Star being upside down. Is clearly one of two. Th- it's just a stupid detail. Either there is no upward orientation of the Death Star. It really is a 360 device that has an extremely good graph field generator. Or, or they couldn't figure out how to fly the damn thing for a while. Which reminds me of Trace. The first time they get out into space in the last season of Clone Wars, and she's like, "Oh, I had the air brake on. I, Whoops!" That's, I, there's somebody. Trace is somebody like Trace is driving the Death Star, not her, because
0: she would never. Are,
1: you, no, right? I would never. But but yeah, I just imagine somebody like Trace in the pilot seat of the Death Star just freaking the fuck out.
0: Sam, I hope the
1: Emperor doesn't kill me.
0: Sam, the enemy's gate is down. That is clearly what is happening here. (laughs)
1: Uh, uh, This seems like a good place, because I don't know of any other good place, to really bring up Riz Ahmed, who I, I remember very distinctly when Sound of Metal came out. We were like, oh, the guy from Rogue One. Oh, this is cool. I can't wait to see another. Oh, remember that, Tessa?
0: I do remember that. Remember that energy? I mean, Riz Ahmed is in this movie. Yes. I don't think he's given a lot to do until the last act. He's just kind of there. Um, he's kind of, I mean, he makes the plot happen. Like, he's the person who brings the information to Saw and Jin, and he's the one who, like, helps them find the Edu place where Galen Erso is. Uh, yeah. But it's really not until that last battle on Scarif that he gets more things to do with this character. What did you think about his performance, Jack?
2: That he was fun in the scene where he gets taken. Agreed. He did not get much to do. I feel like probably because he, I feel, like, I feel like he was cast right after Nightcrawler, if I remember correctly. And so like, he wasn't like, he was just starting to come up as an actor and we, they probably didn't want him to be the lead, and they were not... Like, I feel like if he wasn't cast in a Star Wars project now, he'd be the lead. And I feel like they had so much... Like, Diego Luna was a known actor. Like, Mm -hmm. big-name actor. And then Felicity Jones had been the lead. Like, I feel like Riz Ahmed just wasn't, like, he just, unfortunately for him, was kind of of the main gang. He's the Mm -hmm. third. And so that's... I feel like... If they could do it all over again, I bet he would have more of a presence in the movie.
1: He's like in uh, some of the original Final Fantasy games, which which Tessa, Final Fantasy is what we had before Mass Effect. Okay. It was the game where you had <laughs> lots of characters and you chose your party before you went on the mission. You know about that.
0: I do know about that.
1: But uh, yeah, uh, Riz Ahmed's character is like the airship pilot whose name I'm going to I'm going to get it right again but I'm still going to think it's wrong his name is Cyrus I believe but you never pick him he's kind of worthless as a party character
0: I will say that with the little that Riz Ahmed is given he is doing a lot like sure. um he you know he's making the most out of this role you do see I mean I think all these actors dialogue is used so well in this film because most of the time it shows you what these characters are feeling instead of telling you what they're feeling And so I think there's a lot... You know more about that character based on Riz Ahmed's face than any plot point could tell you about this person. And so I I do think that he is making the most out of a character that, like you said, Jack, is really third on the call sheet here.
2: (laughs) It was just kind of, I feel like, bad timing with his career where... Because, I mean, these movies take a while, and like this one, I think... Because they had to do like they unofficially did like change directors, so I feel like there was like they started much earlier and stuff like that. So I think yeah, if he was cast in a project, and who knows, maybe they'll give a spinoff for his character or like a mini series about how he deflected.
1: And that's that's exactly what I was thinking because. You know, the 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 thing that's really interesting about this movie is I would watch a, a Disney Plus series about any of these characters. And I think you could still make it. You could make it about him. You could make it about, you know, the the Wills on Jetta. You could make it about Saw, and you should. You could make it about Jen Erso's teen years. You could make it about The Wacky Adventures of Galen Erso, Building a Death Star. You could make it about um, Cassian. No, wait, they're doing that one. Uh, (laughs) That's the point, right? I mean, as I'm going to ask a little bit later when we talk about Andor, is Cassian the one you point to and go, let's make a series for him first? I I want to ask that later, but before we get there, And before I ask my question about the third act, which I'm about to do, I just want to point out, yesterday on Twitter, there was a discussion about this. And then we watched Rogue One later that evening. So all I could think of is never go to the second location. (laughs) You never go to the second location. That's where the bad things happen. And in this movie, Yadu is where the rebels, the rebels. The rebels, Mon Mothma's crew, murders Galen Erso. The good guys, in a true are we the baddies moment, Mon Mothma, I'm, I'm going to say this five more times. Mon Mothma kills Jen Erso's daddy.
0: First of all, Mon Mothma isn't even in the room, which may be a problem. In and of itself. I don't commanding think she officer. actually knows it. I think she's like in her own little world thinking that this but, could still be solved peacefully. But this is
1: different from Padme, right? Yes. Padme, who is, you know, who gets done dirty in all kinds of ways. But in this particular way, people are making decisions about her without her when they know damn well they shouldn't. Mon Mothma is different because while they shouldn't be making decisions without their commanding officer, what was she going to do? Fuck it up worse? Probably. Probably.
0: Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to say, though, is that this conversation that Jin and Cassian have after that, um, where, you know, she says, like, you were going to kill him. And he's like, well, I could have, but I didn't. And I that conversation is so fucking good. Like, they're both doing like some really great work and like they're both right. Like, because, you know, he points out, you know, that like she hasn't been involved in the rebellion at all. And like she, he, I think what he says, like some of us can't turn it on and off like a switch, I think is what he says. And like she, but then she also points out that discussion
1: about privilege, by the way,
0: I know it's such a good, like, because I, I love conversations where people characters fight, but they're both right. And this is like a really great example of that because like she points out that what happened was wrong and it doesn't matter what he says to excuse it. It's still wrong. And then, you know, he points out that, like, he doesn't have the luck. He actually says that I don't have the luxury of, like, you know, switching it on and off. And, like, so it's it, it is a very, very good piece of character work. Um, And I think. It illustrates a lot about the rebellion and a lot about what people were asked to do as part of the rebellion that gets I mean, like, no one's going to ask Luke Skywalker to, like, do this, right? Like, you know, Luke Skywalker's not gonna fuck it up this bad. Like, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna ask Leia to do this kind of shit. Oh no, definitely not. It's Cassie and Andor who gets asked to do this shit. And so like, you know, it, it is a very, very interesting conversation.
1: So I'm willing to give you that. I think it's one of the stronger points of the film too. And and by the way, contrary to every teen film that I've seen where I thought you were a nerd at first, but then I decided that you were great and I didn't want to do this anymore. Outside of that paradigm, this con- this kind of conversation is almost never treated the way it should be. Because the whole, I was going to do a bad thing before I understood it was a bad thing. And now I'm not very rarely carries the weight with the other person that it should, because it's, it's a moment of true reflection. And and the thing about it is, is I think it's even more interesting now that we've seen Andor. But in this characterization, in this initial characterization, Cassian will just murder people. That is how hardened and uh, activated as a rebel that he has been.
0: Well, he does it at the beginning of the film. Exactly. Yeah. For,
1: which we which we have that nice uh, Skarsgard call forward, I guess, in Andor, where he is tempted to do the same thing, if you'll recall, but then won't. It's a, I realized it's a nice call forward, which is what I'm going to call a retroactive callback <laughs> um, to what Andor does at the beginning of Rogue One, where he just murders the guy because he wasn't convenient anymore. For him, for that guy, to say to Jyn Erso, I could have done this, but I decided not to because I know it's wrong. If that guy knows that something's wrong, that must mean it's real damn wrong, which it is, or, and possibly both, he's having a moment of true character development. But here's the thing. Thinking about any of the good things about Rogue One, Jack, I'll ask the question again. Is this film only good because of the third act battle on Scarif? No. Why not?
2: It's good because it's good, a great movie throughout the... Because we get a lot of murkiness, uh, like our introduction to Cassian in this movie. We don't. We've not seen the heroes of our movie's previous to this in Star Wars, just straight up kill someone like that. Yeah. So I think this movie is great because it lies in the gray because mm. our characters know they have to do bad things to do the right thing.
1: So let me ask you a different question then, because I completely agree with that take, right? The the morality that's presented in this movie elevates the entire movie for hundred percent. Does this movie have a pacing problem?
2: They have to set up who the characters are at the beginning, and then get them all together, and then kind of start sending them on their mission. I mean, they have to get Riz Ahmed. They have, and then they encounter the whales, and they join the crew. So, like, what they have to, and then kind of give them that final push. So, I think the pace worked for me.
0: I mean, I agree with Jack. I, I don't know what movie you were watching, pacing wise, but like, I couldn't look away from the screen. I think every moment of this is earned. I agree that the latter half of the film is perhaps more action heavy than the first act act of the film, but I think that's because this film is more interested in characters than it is in the action. Like, and I think that's what makes that third act battle on Scarif so good. Like, if we didn't know these characters and if we didn't know what they'd sacrificed. And if we didn't know what they still had to live for in a lot of ways, I think that would not be as impactful emotionally.
1: So I can, I'm not going to talk about it until we talk about rise of Skywalker. I'm I had to talk about this till the end, but my top five star Wars movies at the end of this, I, I made this prediction when we finished revenge of the Sith in my head. And it was confirmed when we watched rogue one today. I think my top five will stay the same as far as which movies are in the top five, but there's going to be a whole lot of shifting. And to me, this movie goes down in my estimation. I don't, I don't like this movie as well as I liked it before. And I realized, and this was one of the major criticisms when the film came out was pacing. Uh, That and, you know, maybe dead people shouldn't be in a movie, but, and we'll talk about that soon. But, I love all the things that happen in this movie, and I love all the themes that are discussed, but I don't think they're put together in a good movie way. This could have been, I don't know, a lot of the things in this movie could have been the second season of Andor, or the third season, the canceled third season of Andor. This could have been a movie that was more, I would have taken the first and second act out. And I would have built the movie around the third act. I would have made it like a Paul Greengrass, you know, tight ninety-three minute United ninety-three type movie.
0: But you're saying that handhelds,
1: shaky cam. Well, you're you're saying
0: that though. If we got the information and the character work from the first two thirds of the film.
1: In a series like you're not saying that we shouldn't
0: just like get rid of it completely.
1: Oh, no, it should live somewhere else. And that's been my constant refrain from this whole time. And I we've definitely talked about it on earlier episodes. How much of this should have had room to breathe?
0: Right. But I still think that this movie does a better job. I mean, clearly we just disagree about it, which is fine. But like, I do think this movie does a better job of giving these characters room to breathe than, say, The Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones does.
1: All right. So I'll challenge you on that, and, and then Jack will come to you on this. Is Jyn Erso interesting?
0: Yes. I love Jyn Erso. She is, like, one of the best film women in Star Wars.
1: I don't disagree with you.
0: I, I absolutely love her. I think uh, she is, like I said, like, she's working through a lot of trauma, but she's, like, clearly trained by Saw, um, and so she's very good at, like, combat. She is very... So here's my thing about Jen Erso. She is so... And Felicity Jones plays her in such a way that I think works really well. She is so taciturn, and yet you can tell exactly what she's thinking. I think there are maybe, like, two scenes in this film where she smiles. Um, And I think that works for this character. Like, she's not... Princess Leia, uh, she doesn't have like that kind of privilege and she's not Padme. She doesn't have that tragedy. Her story is tragic, but not in the same way that like Padme's is tragic. Um, I do actually want her to have her own show. I think the adventures of teenage Jyn Ursa would be interesting. I honestly... Can you cast her? Do you I, get, or do we
1: think we have to cast younger?
0: I don't know. I don't think you would have to cast younger. I Maybe. I don't know what is Felicity Jones doing nowadays? I actually asked that question last night. The funny part is I said, what is she doing nowadays anyway? And Sam was like, she's dead, Tessa. And I was like, Felicity Jones? And she's like, <laughs> no, it's in Urso. I do want her to have her own show or even put her in Andor. Like you said, Jack, she can't meet Cassian, obviously, but we've had plenty of characters, stories developed on Andor that haven't met yet. And so like I, I do think that that would honestly be an appropriate place to have like Forrest Whitaker and her have some scenes together because I wanted more of that relationship too. And then honestly, and I, I thought this since the first time I saw this film, um, since people in discord have already started talking about Kurosawa in preparation for talking about star Wars. She reminds me of a different Kurosawa film from a care. A cha- she reminds me of a different character from a Kurosawa film. So uh, Jack, have you seen the film Ron?
2: It is a blind spot. I own it but I've never seen it.
0: So the film, Ron is Kurosawa's take on King Lear. It is his yep. his remake, adaptation, whatever you want to call it, of King Lear.
2: Reimagining.
0: Yes, it is very good. Um, it is very bleak, which I want to talk about the bleakness of Rogue One a bit later as well. Um, and so there are a lot of parallels I think you can draw between Ron and Rogue One. But the most important to me is the character of Jin Erso because she reminds me specifically of a character named Lady Sue in Ron, who is the wife of one of Ron's sons. So in this adaptation, Kurosawa gender bends the instead of three daughters, he has three sons. And so his son who's married to her, I think he's, I think it's the eldest son that's married to Lady Sue. He like is basically Iagoed slash worm-tongued by her into like betraying his father and doing all these military things um throughout the film that end up being pretty disastrous. And it becomes fairly for a long time you think, oh, this woman's just evil. Like she is she is just like so evil and so like manipulative and Like she she's the kind of person that just wants power or whatever. But there's this twist at the end of the film where she basically says, like, like when when everything is lying in ruins around everyone else. Right. And she's talking to Ron and she says she it turns out. She did this because Ron killed her family. And so she married into this family and got herself into a position where she could completely destroy it from the inside and to me, when Jin Urso is standing on that, you know, that deck and she tells Krennic, like, I'm Jin Urso, the daughter of, you know, Galen and Lyra, and like, you know, we've destroyed you from the inside. To me, that is Lady Sue from Kurosawa. It is that moment of just realization that this person has sacrificed everything to Bring you down in this act of revenge, right? Because at this point, I don't think Jin thinks that she's going to survive this, but I don't think she cares. And like that kind of commitment to that, I think is really spectacular. It's bleak, but it's very spectacular to see in a character, especially a Star Wars character. Sorry, that was a lot about Jin Erso. That,
1: that was a lot. I also
0: love Cassie and Andor, but what do you think, Jack, about Jin Erso?
2: She was a great character to start these like anthology movies (laughs) with i i thought i really enjoyed her i wish we had gotten more time with her i don't know if i need like necessarily a whole spinoff thing like if she was the focus but if it was something like her and saw or something i definitely would watch that i thought Unfortunately, she does get probably the cheesiest line at the movie. Yeah. Which I feel like has not helped her within Star Wars fandom. Granted, Star Wars fandom can no. be very problematic toward women, female characters. So, As your shirt attests. The- oh. Yes. <laughs> but I thought she was a great character. She was great with all the characters of the crew on the mission. So I thought she... like. uh, she was turned into the leader of them and I thought she did a great job of getting there. So
1: the the question we shouldn't ask that I'm about to, because one of the more toxic fandom misogynist things you can do is pit women against each other, especially when there's only two of them, but I'm going to do it. Not because I think it's an either or, but it has been something I've thought about since this film. Is Felicity Jones as Jen Erso? Is she doing better work than her contemporary Daisy Ridley is as Rey? And it's not to say you have to choose one or the other. But when I saw Rogue One, I thought, oh, I don't know.
0: I mean, she's more complex of a character than Rey is. I mean, I think like you said, it's a false it's a false comparison because like they're different characters and they're doing different things. I think that, unfortunately, Daisy Ridley was handed a character that ultimately, they didn't know what that character was. <laughs> and uh, and I think for what, what she's doing is very good. I do think that Jin Erso is a much more interesting character, and I do think that Felicity plays her perfectly. But I, I don't know if I could compare the two, to be honest with you.
2: Any thoughts there, Jack? Felicity Jones was given essentially, a whole story to tell in because her movie was one and done, where Daisy Ridley was given, when she was cast, she was only given one-third of her story, and then her story was kept on getting changed around from movie to movie to movie. So I think she did the best she could, given what she was. And I was checking. I don't think she... W- For some reason, I thought that Flessy Jones was in the running for Ray, but I don't see that in my research.
1: Today is the day where I'm actually going to say what I want to say about how we can fix Ray and Rise of Skywalker, because it's we're at the point in the conversation. So that's going to come up later. I actually had a bunch of stuff about the casting and the CGI characters coming up, but I realized that actually works better in a later segment. So I think this is actually a really good time. To begin moving toward our next segment, so the last question I'll ask as part of this deep dive is, so's interesting, but how interesting is Cassian Andor? The guy in the movie, not the guy in the series.
2: I think he gets one of the best introductions in Star Wars. Again, because it tells us right away like that we, this guy is... Part of the rebellion, but he has to kill to be six like succeed in his like he has to kill his sources like that just shows like right away we get the message, but this is a movie that's in the gray and not black or white.
0: yeah, I agree. I love Cassian Andor, the character in the film, the character in the show and I think that Diego Luna does a really good job of showing us both the end and the beginning of of Cassian's arc as a rebel. Um, I'm very excited to see how he eventually connects the two. I think, Andor, Diego Luna, first of all, kudos to him for keep fighting for that Mexican accent and keeping it in the film. Um, I think that that's great. I think it's perfect for that character. I think that he Again, like it's just it's hard because like all these characters are doing all these actors are doing such good character work. I mean, again, like he's this hardened person, but you get these little moments where you realize that it's that's not it. And even in that first scene, like you mentioned, I and I watched it again this time thinking about the Andor from the show, like he kills this source. Right. And he kills him because he, he knows that he can't climb out of that that place and that he doesn't want him to be able to identify him. But you see this pause like he kills him without question. But then after the guy falls. Right. And he's hold- he's he pauses before he puts his blaster away. And it's just this like split second moment where you can see that like soft underbelly of he doesn't want to do this. Like he doesn't get you know, he doesn't get satisfaction from from doing this. And he says that later. Right. Like every time that I've walked away from something that I want to forget. Right. Um, and I-, I think that. It's just, it's so good the way that you can make complex characters and you can just show us them on screen, right? You can just show us who they are and it takes a lot of good character work. I think it takes a lot of good scene partnerships to be able to do this, especially between him and Felicity Jones, which by the way, uh, sidebar, do we think that they would have been a good couple had they survived Rogue One? Or do we think it's like a speed situation where it was like them being together in the adrenaline? Uh,
1: relationships forged in high-pressure situations never work. Source, Sandy Bullock.
0: Right. So what what do we think about them as like a potential couple?
1: Yeah, if feel like it, they would have gone
2: out for once the honeymoon phase was over. I don't know. Like, once the, at, at the end of Return of the Jedi, they're like, well, that's over. I guess we're over.
0: <laughs> we're over, too.
1: Rex comes up and pats them on the shoulder and says, you know, relationships are hard.
0: They they, they are hard. Yeah. Uh, because like that scene in the elevator, like with Diana, lo- De- with Cassian looking at her is just so like it's so sexy. And then like when they're standing on the beach together, but they're holding each other, knowing they're about to die. Like, I mean, there is real emotion in that, right?
1: I, I like to call them E two Rogue One. Tom B N. Good night, everybody. I still haven't seen that movie, um, but I will one day. I mean. God Tessa, there's an actual movie about a thruple and you haven't seen it.
0: Oh my god. Come
1: on.
2: Future podcast
1: episode, Thruples. Thruples. You too, Mom I'm, and Tom put, BN. I'm putting there that There you go. I, I am will let you have this Putting one. that one on Movies the schedule. And pop culture about thruples that are actually about thruples
0: that are text not subtext. That's okay. right. Yeah.
1: Or just whatever. Anyway, okay. So <laughs> we'll come back to the uh the CGI zombies in a little bit. But for now, let's move to our next segment, Meanwhile, Somewhere That Isn't Tatooine, where we talk about other parts of the Star Wars universe, and obviously, we need to talk about Andor. So let's talk about it. It's pretty good, right?
2: Like I said earlier, I think it's probably the number one or number two thing that has existed since Empire Strikes Back of Star Wars. I think... We get to um, see a lot more of this universe that we never knew that existed. We get to learn about interesting cultures and like customs of the cultures of these some of these planets. I wasn't asking for an Andor show, but I'm so glad that we got one. Um, there's like all these characters, but I'm so excited to see what happens with them in season two. Gives us one of the best robots in all of Star Wars, in B2 Emu.
0: A crazy I, idea about yes, this
1: I and I and you said when you still it when you said this last night, you said this is a crazy theory that probably isn't true, but I'm gonna tell you now, so when it happens, it was on the record, which I deeply appreciate Tessa. I think that is why we are so good together because you understand
0: what's the name but, of the droid in uh b two
1: emo
0: b two emo
1: yep yeah so. But the more and more I thought about this, the more and more I realized I think you might be right. <laughs> so I want you to say your crazy wacky idea theory right now. This
0: is my this is my like really far out there theory. I think K2SO is V2 Emu. Because I think I think it is that droid but with access to imperial database information. Like he does have like that information processing from From the Imperial programming, but personality wise, I think it is actually that droid because of the way he talks to Cassian specifically.
1: This is perhaps the greatest gift that Solo has given us. The idea that when you put the brain of a droid into another thing, you get another thing.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, actually. Although we do get uh, a call forward to K2SO in the first season of Andor because we see those Imperial droids on that planet that Andor is arrested on. He's yep. arrested by one. So yep. yeah. What do you think about that theory, Jack?
2: It <laughs> is an interesting theory. Um, I had not thought about it, but it definitely is not out of the realm of possibility. I'm just trying to think of how that, like, I guess he would just, they would take a, one of those robots and reprogram it. I mean, I guess we know they're going to reprogram one of those robots. But that means that I'm wondering what's going to happen to the body of B2 Emo to the point where they feel like they have to put his, I guess, maybe for a mission. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I I would be very interested in knowing that. I also loved Andor. Uh, I mean, I think everyone did. I don't think that's a particularly hot take. Although some of the discourse around Andor was very exhausting. I I do have to say that. I agree. It's amazing and wonderful. I didn't need all of it. Um, So Andor, I think, allows us to really dig into the themes that Rogue One hints at. Um, Rogue One has a lot of interesting ideas about how fascism works, but it's still very much focused on the rebellion side and on the sort of the main story of the Death Star and, you know, these pe- who these people are. Gilroy gets to dig into this. He gets to actually look at like why Andor is the way that he is and why these people have to exist in a morally gray area to fight fascism, very much like what I said about Saw earlier. Lucas knows that fascism is bad. Like That is what the Star Wars films are about. Uh, Gilroy knows how it is bad. He is able to talk about systemic fascism and how those systems are used to Uh, to oppress people, to alienate people. Um, He talks about, you know, the tactics and strategies of power. Um, You know, there's, he talks about imprisonment. He talks about, um, you know, occupation, all of those things. And I think that he does such a great job of it. He is definitely the bravest of the Star Wars creators. I never thought that Star Wars uh, would take this big of a swing, considering all of the ways in which, they have been really timid over the last few years, um, since solo, really, or even before solo. So it it is really great to see them actually say, like, no, we're going to talk about racism, we're going to talk about fascism, we're going to talk about uh, incarceration, you know, all of those things.
1: You know, if you're if you're somebody like Gilroy, you really have to think, what a time to be alive, because he's he's doing, he and he and all the folks behind the show are doing exactly what you said. But in a, may you, a a typical may you live in interesting times curse, what they're doing in the show has simultaneously become the most relevant thing that one could possibly do in pop culture and the iciest, coldest take on yeah. it. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, I knew that when I woke up this morning. I didn't need a show to right. tell me that anymore. The show. But is- also, isn't it great that your show mirrors reality? Well, I guess when it's about fascism, maybe not.
0: <laughs> I also have to say, uh, the show is so ACAB. Like it is the most A thing I think I have seen in a long time, and I love it. Um, is it
1: AYAB? AIB AYAB, A-Yab? Yeah. All Imperials.
0: But but again, Diego Luna having very successfully embodied this character in Rogue One, the fact that he's able to take this character and go, okay, that's the end of his journey. Where does this character start? And to be able to do that, like, because it is a very different Cassian, right? He's not hardened. He he is not, you know, do anything that it takes, you know, type of rebel yet. Uh, he's not even a rebel yet at the beginning. And, you know, it is it is very interesting to see kind of the start of that journey there was another thing I was gonna say and now I can't remember what it was oh yeah actually Andy circus that's the only other thing I will say Andy Circus has a three episode arc in this and just let that man act in anything anything he wants just give it to him
2: do you think this is how he his character do you think his character becomes future Snoke
1: <laughs> oh man you know I don't like that somebody else has done the headcanon bit in this episode <laughs> particularly that one.
2: I like what you were saying earlier when we were discussing Rogue One and having all these like factions within the rebellion coming like kind of fighting with each other before Jen makes her speech. From what I've heard about the second season of Andor is it will be about bringing all those factions together to the point where they're at the table fighting with each other. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that all plays and like how saw become like more saw and yeah, I'm just eager for the second season, which will probably come out in 2024. Unfortunately.
1: So I, I want to say really quickly because I was like, what's scars name? And it's Luthen in the show, but I was looking up. So I was looking up the cast on IMDB and I just need to tell you, because I feel like this isn't usually my province, but I'm going to say it. If you look, and I'm going to grant you Diego Luna and Stellan Skarsgård, although I'm deeply uninterested. But I'll, I'll give you those two as well. But if you look at the headshots of the people in this show, this is, pound for pound, the hottest show that ever exists. Every single one of the people in this are apparently not real because nobody's that hot. <laughs> and, and yet somehow they like dialed it down. Like some of the people in Andor are very attractive people. But in real life, they're apparently a billion times hotter, at least when they're dolled up for headshots. I just want to say that. This
0: is also the first Star Wars series that really has sex in it. Yeah. Like
1: And and speaking of sex, I wanna I wanna bring up everybody's favorite mall cop. (laughs) Which by the way, I'm gonna do this for you. I hope y'all don't like succession because I'm about to ruin things for you. That's Kendall Roy. That character, that's Kendall Roy. And I know what you're thinking. I don't watch Succession. I watch Yellowstone. Well, it's Wes Bentley's character, too. I I, I love this character because I'm like, you are the worst. You are valorized on other TV shows, but here the veil is lifted. And you're just an asshole. You you are you are the worst. You are an imperial starfucker. There is nothing worse than you. You are a sniveling little brat. You make Darth Sidious look cool. That's true. In the words of Jack Nicholson, as good in As Good As It Gets, you make me want to be a better man. Which I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter. That's how bad he is. I hate that character. I hate him so much. You know who I hate less than that? Besides literally everyone? Luthen selling Skarsgård's character he's great Uh, where I was gonna start before I got sidetracked here what do we what do we think about Skarsgård being Skarsgård in this film TV series it's not a film
0: he has (laughs) one of the best monologues in Star Wars 100%
2: one might argue the best monologue in Star Wars I
0: have made my mind in. I have made my mind into a sunless place like come on
1: Nine hundred years, you old. And he's also Looks a. So good. You will not.
0: <laughs> he's also a sassy antique stealer, so you know, win-win on both sides. <laughs> I was surprised that uh, what is her name, Deirdre? Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. I w- I had no idea. I watched the entire series, and then just found <laughs> out yesterday that she's the voice of Yennefer in Witcher Three. Like, <laughs> I that have makes no sense, idea. Though, if you
1: stop and think about it. Yeah. <laughs> From what I know about Yennefer. Totally makes sense. Well,
0: thinking of her is not a fascist.
1: I didn't say she was, but she's a sassy mean lady who will like tie you up and do things.
0: That's true. That is true.
1: I know things.
2: Are you guys a Tendra Cyril shippers?
0: (laughs) I hate I hate to love them together. I hate to love them together. I
1: just okay. Here's the thing. Yes, and here's why. I want to see Star Wars go there. Psychosexual. I I wanna see I Want to see Star Wars do either. Here, There are two options here. I want to see Star Wars do Basic Instinct or, <laughs> or, 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 or. Here's the second option. Reverse Fifty Shades.
0: Oh, my God. Reverse
1: Fifty Shades, Tessa. Oh, my Get, God. Yeah, you're welcome. This is revenge for all the thruples. I want you to think about Reverse Fifty Shades with those two.
0: I mean, Star Wars hasn't had Love a psychosexual like relationship yet. Let's do it.
1: Earned it.
2: So what I'm hearing is you guys want fascists to fuck. Yep.
0: <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much that I love it.
2: That's what she, That's actually what fair, reverse 50 shades is. testing. Them creating more
1: fascists in the world.
0: <laughs> to, to, to be or, fair. Or
1: when you have parents like that, you turn into the rebellious of rebels.
0: To be fair. I also do love the character of Deidre because, uh, I, and, and, you know, like the actor talked about this a little bit, too, is that at first you're like kind of cheering her on. Like you're just like, oh, like she's the only woman in this in this room full of men. And like, you know, they're they're talking over her and they're mansplaining stuff to her and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, she's evil. She's a fascist. Like, it turns out white women are fascists, too. Like, <laughs> you know, like it, it is a very good um, it is a very, very good way of interrogating white feminism. And I really appreciate it.
1: All right. If you don't mind, I'm going to steer away from Rogue One and Andor for a moment, but we'll come back. So I just want to very, very quickly steer away to the wonderfulness that is Star Wars Rebels.
0: Yay! My favorite.
1: So I'll just start off by saying, I'll start off by saying this, ask general impressions, and then I'm going to tell you my grand Star Wars theory. Okay. It is time. All right. So- Rebels was always a good show but it became a better show in the last season and a half. That's it, a good show that got better. Once they really start to engage with the Rebel Alliance in very meaningful ways. The last season of Rebels has the Rebels splitting up. Uh, Hera becomes part of uh, Mon Mothma's leadership structure. Sabine and... Ezra have more meaningful interactions with Saw and kind of see the the uglier side of his character. We just see a lot of these things that become very interconnected with the Rogue One storyline. So I'll just say, overall, what do we think about the second half, the last season and a half of of Rebels? I know, Tessa, you talked about it a lot previously.
0: I mean, I love them. I feel like this show... Like I said, it has one of my favorite pilots of all time. I mean, and I mean that in an episode sense, not in the hair sense, although she is also my favorite pilot of all time. But I think this show grows up with Ezra because Ezra at the beginning of the show is a young teenager, right? And then by the end of the show, he is probably about Luke and Leia's age. And it the themes of the show kind of grow up along with him. And I think this push in the last two seasons season and a half to really engage with again some of the themes of Rogue One but you know from a different perspective the idea of like what is a what is a rebellion what sh- what do you need to do in order for a rebellion to work what should you do of course Ezra is a Jedi um he is a force user um Kanan is a Jedi and so you get a little bit more of like the Jedi and uh, force politics and everything. Although I would argue that Caden's uh, brand of Jedi, Jedi, Jediism philosophy is uh, a lot more, um, it's a lot better than the, than the uh, Jedi philosophy, especially when it concerns emotion, because he's not telling Ezra all the time to suppress his emotions and he doesn't suppress his emotions. And so I think that that's a lot better. But I do want to point out that we were watching the last season and a half of Rebels and we watched the episode arc with Saw. And the thing that they're investigating in those episodes are where why do the why does the Empire want these kyber crystals? And I love that we don't like that is the beginning of the arc that eventually becomes important for Rogue One, right? Um, because they they want these kyber crystals for the Death Star. And of course, they don't know what the Death Star is or uh, what they're being used for in these episodes in Rebels. But it was interesting to watch that and then to watch Rogue One and be like, the kyber crystals, that's what they want them for. Like, And they talk about that a lot in, in the beginning of Rogue One. So it is cool when you can see these storylines pulled all the way through, you know, the, the Star Wars universe. There's also a lot of... Um, Rogue One, I've mentioned the ending is very bleak in the best way, I think, because I think it needed to be bleak. The ending of Rebels is less bleak, but it is very sad. It is very, it does start to steer into this idea that like sacrifices need to be made and like what happens when, what happens to a chosen family that's as strong as the one in Rebels when those sacrifices have to be made? Like, how do you survive a rebellion like this? And I think that that, it pairs very well with Rogue One, even though it has a very different take on it.
2: It took me a little bit to get used to the crew, but once I did, I thought it was a great story. Um, It's definitely a series I will come back to, and I think it did a great expansion on some of the stuff that we started to see with Clone Wars but became its own voice. And I will be curious to see if how those characters are integrated into the live action stories with the Ahsoka TV show.
1: And and you you anticipate part of what I'm thinking here. I like all of you hate the rise of Skywalker. Perhaps You haven't made that clear earlier. at all. I mean, what a
0: surprise.
1: Well, you're spoiling your future podcast. <laughs> yeah, and so as uh this is kind of a segue into Max Rebo's Retcon Corner, I really want The Rise of Skywalker to be retconned. I want that. Far be it for me to sound like somebody who would say that J.J. Abrams took away my childhood. He didn't. Nobody can take that away from me except for George Lucas, God damn it!
2: Ryan Johnson <laughs> took away your childhood. Nope.
1: Nope. It wasn't J.J.
2: That's what the internet told me. It
1: wasn't Ryan. It was George Lucas who makes it so damn hard to watch the movies I loved as a kid. That's all. But that's okay. The anti-penultimate episode of Rebels is a world between worlds. It is the episode that can break everything in Star Wars.
0: We should also say right here, this is
1: spoiler for Rebels. So
0: skip five minutes ahead if you don't want to hear this.
1: Major spoiler. Time travel is canon, y'all. I have been screaming about this since the night this episode aired. I was the happiest person on the planet when that happened because this is pod racing. You guys, this is it. This is everything. This is the chosen one right here.
2: What if instead of a DeLorean, they use a pod racer as the machine to go back in time?
1: He got me. I have a back to the future reference in the notes and you got to it first. (laughs) So, In a world between worlds, Ezra Bridger discovers the time circuits from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Sorry, I think it's actually the circuits of time. Anyway, the world between worlds where you can navigate between one time and another. Which is
0: also a Lewis reference.
1: Right. Uh, This is how he is able to save Ahsoka Tano from her duel with Vader. Without time travel, Ahsoka Tano does not make it out of that temple. That's okay. What's really interesting about this is, is the Emperor has found it as well. And that's the danger when Ahsoka and Ezra get in there is that the Emperor comes running after them, which is, I believe... See, this is part one. This is It's Always Darkest Before the Dawn. The somehow in The Rise of Skywalker, this is the somehow. Somebody who's very smart at backfilling... Dave Filoni, will, if he hasn't already, caught on to the idea that the somehow in the Rise of Skywalker crawl is the world between worlds. But fortunately, the good guys also have the world between worlds. And in this episode, Ezra hears voices. He hears all of the voices. Past, present, future. He hears Obi-Wan. Why gon He hears Jin. He hears, uh, he hears Maz Kanata. He hears, uh, did I mention Obi-Wan? He, he hears Obi-Wan. He hears Rey. He hears all of these people. And the important thing here is he hears people in the future. So what happens that Dave Filoni does in Rebels is establishes that somebody in the past can go to the future. And that's what I hope they do. That is what I hope happens. I hope that Ezra is able to do something to short circuit the rise of Skywalker so we can just try the fuck over. That is my hope. That is my dream. It is not a new hope. I've had it since December twenty
0: nineteen. Do you think we'll see Ezra, Ezra do you think we'll see Ezra Bridger in the Ahsoka show? So
1: where Rebels leaves us is Sabine and Ahsoka are concerned with finding Ezra. And not just Ezra, they're also concerned with finding Grand Admiral Thrawn. The last we see of the two of them, they are fighting off and then they disappear. I don't know what the Ahsoka show is going to be about. It could be about any number of things. But I do hope we have Ahsoka, Sabine, Ezra, Thrawn, all live action. Or animated. Frankly, I don't care. But this could ultimately and i genuinely hope it does you know i love time travel this is really two birds with one stone but i do think this is how we can fix rise of skywalker and yeah it does need to be fixed i'm sorry <laughs> if here's the thing about here's the thing about last jedi people like it people don't like it but people also like it how is that different from rise of skywalker everybody knows that movie's trash Every but J.J. Abrams. If you strap that man to a chair and give him truth serum, he will tell you it's a bad movie. He will tell you no lens flare can save this movie.
0: I mean, I don't know about.
1: Anna cannot save but this movie.
0: I do have to say that. I mean, I think it is likely because Sabine has been cast in the Ahsoka show and. When we see Ahsoka in The Mandalorian, she does say like she's looking for Thrawn. I don't want to get too far ahead on that because that's burning pod, but I do think it might be likely that this is the this is something that Ahsoka will address. agreed. Sam. All right. Max Rebo Retcon's Corner. Yep. Let's okay.
1: go. All right. We had I mean, this is really a, a pack that I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about around this era. But okay. So Max Rebo's Retcon Corner. So this is like You know how they always say it's always darkest before the dawn? This is like the opposite. It's always lightest before the dark, I guess. Because what they're doing in Rogue One is trying to make canonical everything they possibly can. Like trying to close every single loophole, which is the opposite of what Lucas tries to do with the special editions. So somebody is trying real hard not to Marty McFly this whole rebellion thing. You see, that was my back. To the
0: that, that was reference. your Back to the Future reference. Got so it. So
1: we're going to use all the voices from 77. We're going to use all the callbacks, including, including they murder Red 5. So Luke has a place to hop in. It's like, how did you just join a squadron? Was there an, oh, oh shit, there was an opening. He died.
0: Can we talk about the, the reanimated dead, reanimating dead actors now? Is this no. the appropriate place? No, okay. this
1: is not the appropriate place. But what is the appropriate place is Chop, Hera, and the ghost all exist in Rogue One.
0: They do. We see
1: Chopper. We hear uh, Harrison Dula's name called over the intercom. We see the ghost because, as I say here, if the film is canon, if Rogue One is canon because it leads us to the beginning of episode four, then so is Rebels. Rebels is canon. Hooray. I it's
0: just to- a cartoon. I have to say se. that... Uh-huh. I'm glad we didn't see Hera in the actual room with the Rebel Alliance because I feel like if she was there listening to Jin talk about like what they needed to do on Scarif, she would have been like already in the ghost, ready to go. Like I do not see her like yeah. saying like No, we're not going to do this." Like, like she would have been like, "Let's do it."
1: <laughs> just, just, see her like hockey checking Han Solo out of the way. Move it, asshole. <laughs> Solo. What kind of name is that? And finally. Oh, that's why there's a small thermal exhaust port? The Empire isn't stupid. It's sabotage.
0: Yeah, I do love that this whole movie is basically UN based Easter on Boys. one yep. thing. <laughs> one tiny detail from Star Wars.
1: I was heavily invested in finding out that the Empire wasn't stupid. you <laughs> in sabotage.
0: Can we talk about dead actors you
1: now? Wanna, you want to talk about that?
0: That is the one thing that I do not like about...
2: Let's t- to be fair, there was only one dead actor in this movie at the time it came out.
0: Yeah, I guess she is de-aged.
2: She died a couple, two weeks, like a week and a half after it came out because I was on my honeymoon when she passed away, and I saw this before my honeymoon.
0: Well, okay, so I think it, I think it bears in mind that this is the thing I don't like. This is the thing I like the least about this film.
1: Let's move to our last segment: the lighter side of the force.
0: I have to talk about that with the lighter side of the force. Yes. It's not funny. It will be. The thing I like the least about this film is the way that it reanimates a dead Peter Cushing. As much as I like Tarkin as a character and as fun as I thought it was to see him and Krennic kind of like snipe at each other, I I just don't really think it's great to use the likeness of an actor who's dead. Um, I... It really bothers me because they don't have any say in how their likeness mm-hmm. is being used. I don't think I think it looked fine, but like it wasn't it wasn't Peter Cushing. Like it was a computer.
1: Is it? And is so it okay in the animated in, in Clone Wars?
0: That's different because it's a character and the voice is not they're not even trying to like redo his voice. They're using a different voice actor.
2: Leia was Carrie Fisher's yep. voice. Right. With his with Cushing, I think it was a different voice. With the CGI-ness of his face, it looked better not in the theaters. When I saw it in theaters, it stood out so much that it was not him. On the we Watch on my TV, it was definitely less noticeable. I don't know if they have fixed things since it came out in theaters or if it was just because I wasn't seeing it on giant screen, but it looked better, but it was definitely, you could tell, with but it was not him.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think they needed it, to be honest with you. Like there's no. so at the very beginning when he's introduced, you get Krennick walking up to him from behind and you just see like his silhouette. Everyone knows who that is. I don't I don't think he needed to turn around. I don't think he needed to be in more than that one scene. You know, like it to me it just would have worked fine um that way, or they could have just had someone else in charge of the Death Star until he took over later. Like I don't I didn't really seem the need to bring Peter Cushing back from the dead, uh, which just seems very ghoulish to me. Um, and Wait, I, go
1: ahead. I was going to just say the the joke here. The reason I was going to put this under the lighter side is, as you say, ghoulish. The joke here is, didn't Christopher Lee play Dracula? Because <laughs> damn, Peter Cushing looks undead.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like it at all. And like you pointed out, Jack, uh, Carrie Fisher was still alive when this film came out. She's just de-aged in but this was film. was her
1: presence even necessary?
0: I don't think it was no. necessary. I feel like, I, I, I think the Darth Vader stuff actually works. I know some people think it's gratuitous, but I actually think it works in the film. I do not think the Princess Leia stuff works. It is one line. It is is It's a wink at the screen, right? A new hope. We have hope. Wink.
2: I feel like they could have cut, like, once like, they open the door, you see her back. Yep, done. that's enough. You don't need to see the face. Exactly. Absolutely.
0: Actually, absolutely. And also, I think the one weakness of this movie also is that it it doesn't know how to end. Because <laughs> the, the <laughs> ending is a little abrupt. Um, it's like, uh, so this beautiful, bleak, awful battle just happened. Uh, Here's how it connects to a new hope. Goodbye. Like, it, it just, it later. doesn't feel... I, I almost wish they hadn't tried to connect it too too much with a new hope. I almost kind of wish they would have just ended with you know the scene of them dying or you know something like that.
1: By the way, as I said before, Billy Lord is right there.
0: Yeah, Billy Lord should you can, be you, recast. You've
1: got Leia right there, and and bonus bonus. If you make Billy Lord a more prominent uh, presence in the Star Wars universe, other than her role in the sequel trilogy, but if you if you allow Billy Lord to play Princess Leia in other parts, you also open the door for a very important Star Wars ancillary TV show.
0: American Horror Story Star Wars? You
1: got it. <laughs> it's actually Star Wars Horror Story, Poland oh, Corilla <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Alderaan. I feel like
2: if she had not been in the sequel series, they probably would
1: have considered her for the presence. Which, presents, which but... is ridiculous. Why not? I, I don't know. Tessa brought up Vader, but I'm going to pretend she didn't. And I'm going to bring it up now. Because I really want to say, a wild Vader appears in his volcano layer on Drama Mountain. Did we need this?
0: Yes, absolutely. You like I that drama, Mountain? Love the fact he's that,
1: a damn Bond villain. I
0: know. I love the fact that Anakin Skywalker is such a the dramatic bitch.
1: Low cat. Yeah,
0: that he that he lives on the planet where his horrific injuries happened. He lives there, and like he's keeping it fresh, right? And like he 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 built this like fortress of like. Uh, it's just he's so dramatic and he's so messy and I I love every single part of it I love the don't choke on your aspirations no
1: commander Krennic. yeah I expect you to die
0: yeah I and I I think it works because it, it reminds us that Krennic has people to answer to um that are way more powerful <laughs> than him and I think Vader is a better choice for that than Palpatine I also think That despite what I said about the ending, I actually really love the scene where he's coming through the hallway, like chasing them. And it's a horror movie. This movie suddenly takes a turn into horror at that ending. And I like it because we don't get to see a lot of Vader doing shit like this, which he should be. um, Because, you know, he is Anakin. He is the most powerful. Yeah. Now he can go.
1: Now you can go mass murder Tusken Raiders. I'll buy it now. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so, like, I did really enjoy that. I think it works better than either the Tarkin or the Leia callbacks.
2: Yeah, I I also thought it was uh, beautifully shot. I wish they like didn't keep cutting back to the people running from him and just like kept it on him as he moved forward and you just see the like from his like straight on that uh, he's interacting with people. I feel like, like I get why they wanted to like show the plans being passed like forward, but I feel like it would have been so much cooler if they just focused on him. Like, you see that they're, like, you get the idea that they're doing it, and then all they're doing is focus on him just cutting by. And um, That was another thing that we did not talk about in Rogue One, is the cinematography, which was done by the guy who did Dune and the Batman from this year. And I feel like that's one of the strong things about this movie, is actually the way the cinematography of this movie.
0: It's gorgeous. Um, more visual storytelling in the vein of George Lucas, I think. Yeah.
1: And I'll just say, if you're, you know, Jack, I think you're right. If you're going to intercut things from two different movies, you got to call up Topher. He's the expert on it. He's the <laughs> one who knows how to do it.
0: So uh, let me ask you, Jack. We There are obviously more droids to meet in the Star Wars universe, but so far, Phantom Menace 2 Rogue One, rank those droids. What are your, who are your favorites? What order are they in?
2: It's hard to, like... I feel like maybe it's recently biased, but he might be number one right now. K 2s up there. Why am blinking on the droid from Solo.
1: We'll just call her Phoebe
2: Waller Bridge.
0: L three.
2: L three, that's right. I mean, how can I not root for L three and workers right, droid rights? I feel like I wish we would get more would have seen more in Solo about or maybe in future projects the ramifications of her uh reading that droid rebellion. R2 D2 is definitely a also a messy bitch who loves drama because he likes to withhold information from people.
0: (laughs) And he's friends with C3PO, so Yeah.
2: You know like he has like things would have been solved a lot easier if R2 D2 would actually give people the full all the information they need. And then C three POs are Little anxiety droid.
0: Absolutely. Doesn't know what's going on at any yeah. given time.
2: No. Yeah, I definitely... Despite speaking all those languages. Oh,
0: don't forget Chopper, too. Oh, yeah. Chopper. No. I definitely think that my top three are K2SO, R2-D2, and Chopper. But I just love the droids. Like, droids are just great. Yes. Yeah.
1: I'm writer die R2.
0: I know you are. Yeah.
1: Uh R2-D2 is like a cat. <laughs> And as Tessa knows, Tessa knows this is this is something nobody else knows because nobody's seen it, and that's fine. Cats and I get along.
0: Cats love Sam.
1: Yep. So R2 and I would have a great relationship. Now, I would pick L3.
0: Really? I'm surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised if, because L3 is great, I but I'm surprised by the L3 love.
1: Would pick L3, but I can't. Because if I can only have three droids. I can't bring L3 because my other pick is K2SO. Right. Okay. And here's the problem with that. R2 won't go without C3PO.
0: That's true. Yeah. They're I mean, best R2, friends. R2-D2 yeah.
1: will complain. They're a bonded pair. And bitch and moan about C3PO, but try to separate R2-D2 from his best friend, and he will fuck up some Jawas. Yeah. We know this. We've known it from 77. So, my three droids are R2-D2, C-3PO, because, has to be, and K-2SO.
0: What about Chopper?
1: I mean, R2-D2 will murder any other astromech. I
0: mean, to be completely fair about Chopper, I don't think Chopper would ever leave Hera. Hera yeah. is his mom. Like, yeah, I get no, it. No, I
1: mean, so, yeah, I mean, they're like cats, right? Yeah. I mean, cats are very, you have to be very careful about your your combinations. I think L3 murders 3PO. I think R2 mer- murders Chop. K2SO for some reason. K2SO is like Tom, by the way, Tessa. Yeah, I get that's, it. That's why that'll yeah. work. Okay. We we have hit the all killer, no filler era of Star Wars. And that's that's great. Jack, I'm glad you were here for this. Where can people find you online? You can still find me
2: on Twitter at Jack Treats life, And you can also find me on Letterboxd at Jack
1: cinema. Tessa, where can people find you online?
0: You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd and Storygraph at The By Paradox. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading through all of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that podcast on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9 and on Letterboxd at Melody Valentine. You can find more from Tessa and Sam and our producer Ryan on MovieJohn.com. That's MovieJawn.com. Tessa has a very special message for all of you, all of you who we don't know out there about.
0: Oh, yeah. You can also, brand new, join our Mumble Discord server. Um, You can find the link to that on Twitter um, in our bio. You can also email us directly for that invite link.
1: Tomorrow we'll be back. We'll be back talking about Star Wars. And I know what you're thinking. This is the 11 days of Star Wars. Well, the next film is called Star Wars. Get over it. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today. A new hope. My, you know what. What pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter at monkeybacklog, email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Stitcher, Amazon Podcast, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. May the force be with you, get that monkey off your back, and have a great holiday. Season twenty twenty two is almost over. Thank the maker.